Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Philip Willis. Philip, who uses he, him pronouns, was born in 1984 in West Louisiana, and grew up in a small military town of Rosepine. His parents worked on a dairy farm, and that molded most of his early years. Philip was quite the country mowgli. As a kid growing up around a lot of plants, he would call himself a dirt child. As a preteen and teenager, Philip was struggling with his sexuality and external forces like growing up Southern Baptist, and therefore grew insular and quiet, the wallflower. He was an A-B student, and once graduation happened, he moved away from home and went to a nearby state college. There, Philip was inexperienced with the party scene, was thrust into college life of drinking and partying. At that time as well, he struggled even more with his sexuality and started abusing alcohol. But in those wild times, he met his first boyfriend online. They dated secretly for six months, using the dorm phone late at night to talk to him till the wee hours of the morning. After a fiery first gay relationship, dropping out of school, moving to California for the guy, Philip moved back to Louisiana and started grinding. In 2012, he moved to Austin, the move that redefined his life. Here in Austin, he found a gay chosen family and worked his way out of the service industry and into the eight to five office world. He is currently working full time and going to Austin Community College for communications with a focus on racial and LGBTQI diversity, inclusivity and intersectionality in society and workplaces. Hi, friend. (laughs) Hey, hey, everybody. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm trying to think we probably met the first year I moved here. It was like 2016 through yeah. all the gay boys, yeah. <laughs> which all I was just Austin talking days. to. I was just talking to someone the other day. Like I lived like three lives my first year in Austin. Like every Sunday I would go out and it was just like, now I'm not, you know, before even quarantine, like now I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> things, <laughs> things really shifted. And I was like, you know, still everyone I just don't really go to the gay bars that often so yeah we met probably about four years ago and we kind of became fast friends I mean just between you know going to protests uh Pulse happened that year when I moved here and I remember all of us going and doing the protest and marching and all of that stuff so yeah I'm very excited to chat with you today mostly because a few the few of the topics you picked I've been wanting to talk to people about and I think like you're the perfect person of like growing up in the South while being queer and trying to figure out what that means. Also like queer representation on TV, um, dealing with your faith now. So yeah, I'm, I'm good to just hop on in if you are. Exactly. Yeah. And then you forgot we went to Stonewall rally together. We've always kind of showed up. That's right. 
we may not hang out all the time, but we always kind of like show up whenever there's like something big for our community going on. So we are, that's true. Also, when we're allowed back outside, let's change that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I, I'm always following you and, you know, watching you grow, which is great. It's great to see my friends uh, doing their dreams, you know? Yeah. Especially with you going back to school and what you're studying. I'm just like, this is very, this fits you so well. And I remember when you uh, first told me about it, I was like, yes, do it. <laughs> it makes so much yeah, sense to I you. Mean, it's just like you said, you know, stepping into a new path, uh, of, like a journey for your career, it's daunting. And it's like, is there a place for it? But like, I think right now with everything that's going on, um, and looking at companies being literally forced to address this uh, and creating new positions for it, I think is, is great, you know? And I think it's, for me, it's like, this is the universe or whatever telling you get in here. Cause when I started communications, that's, you know, I had an idea of what I wanted and, you know, I sat down with um, ACC's communications uh, director and she was like, you are fitting that spot. She's like, we need that. And I was like, I didn't know this was a thing, but yeah, you know, like I'm down for it. So now it's just like, and then the world fell apart. So like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, uh, you know, I start back in the fall and I'm actually in the degree program finally. So it's going to be navigating all that online courses and all that. So, but I'm excited. It's going to work out so well. And I'm so excited for you and the work that you're going to be able to continue to do, especially in communications. Uh, so fun. Yeah. When you become a journalist, let me know. <laughs> I, I i don't know why but i see you as like a tv anchor slash journalist like um you, like a late night mouth is gonna get me in so much trouble <laughs> it's fine there's no rules anymore what's his name um john oliver like last week tonight i could see like oh, yeah. you doing like a, a queer sort of version of that and i was just like into it so yeah. let me know when to subscribe call the networks <laughs> with, with with my uh country ass accent that's gonna exactly be that's thing. what makes it so endearing <laughs> <laughs> like who is this gaming with this southern drawl what where can we watch her more i'm telling you it's gonna, i'm speaking into existence okay well i'm gonna take it but speaking of that i think that, see that's the perfect segue into like queer representation on television and i know when you first brought this to me you had said like fantasy and sci-fi i was like let's <laughs> let's branch that out a little bit but even just like in the last few years seeing how many shows have you know added more people of color how many more queer characters there are on tv um and you had brought up like netflix all of the netflix originals have all of these different people represented and one of the shows that always sticks out to me as being like a real like turning point for that was Grey's Anatomy when Shonda Rhimes first pitched Grey's oh, yeah, sure. and in her memoir, which is my favorite book, which I talk about constantly, but it's called Year of Yes. And so in that book, she talks about how like if Grey's would have failed, it would have meant not only the failure of like her, but like it would have meant like a lot of closed doors for other women, other black people, writers. Um, but if you look at her show and like, how diverse the cast is and it's just like people living simple lives She's like these are just real people so when people talk about representation of room like it's literally like just taking what we see outside and putting it on onto onto the screen exactly and then you know i i'm amazed how quickly stuff is changing um you look at like pose with uh you know black and um latino uh queer representation transgender re representation mm -hmm. on television and broadcasted to millions of viewers like giving these directors and these writers who've who kind of been in the shadow of these you know white male directors and stuff all these years they're like 
their voices, their writings actually being represented now. And people are calling more for that. And when I talk about, you know, I say sci-fi and fantasy, that's, you know, what I grew up on. But that's evolved into such larger dynamics in media. You know, Ryan Coogler, Black Panther. I mean, that's a masterpiece of storytelling. And, and it's not just that. It's the attention to detail. And I kind of, this is why I go back to, like, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones uh, Ryan Coogler has that attention to detail with fabrics and the, creating the cultures of uh, Wakanda and making people want to dive so deep into that, you know, and imagining yourself as these heroes, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing is for kids, like, like I, I told you before, um, being a kid growing up out in the country and being able to see yourself represented as the hero is a huge thing, you know, mm -hmm. it, what it does for your um, mentality uh, and for your mental health, uh, you don't see yourself as the other anymore or the bad guy, you know? I think I just saw a conversation on Facebook the other day about like in the, you know, Disney movies back in the day, a lot of the villains were very queer coded, like Jafar, uh, Scar, they were very, hyper-feminized, basically gay characters. Mm -hmm. And they were seen as the enemies. Ursula was also done that way too. She was, I think, divine. She was supposed to be after the drag queen divine, mm -hmm. casted after that or drawn after that. So now seeing that flipped on itself is a great thing. So yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i excited. Even there's, you know, if you talk about, if you're a queer nerd, there's Dragon Prince on Netflix. They include, they have lesbian and gay relationships on that. It's an animated show, a fantasy show. Um, they have people of color drawn in there. I think it goes back to like, uh, also the A Avatar, the last airbender series. That was also a series that you first saw a lot of, uh, characters, animated characters of color. Uh, and then there was the backlash of the movie, rightfully so. It was a terrible movie, but like a lot of the series on Netflix click on there now and you're getting visibility. And I love that, you know, every day, like I'm constantly going, oh, this is a new series you know, um, that, and, you know, then I'm like Googling who's the writer and what have they done before. And so it, I'm super excited for all the young writers and creators that are coming in and finally being given a voice. And I think that's super important. I want to touch back on a couple of the ones you mentioned. Like if we look at Pose, how it's written by Janet Mock, who is a black yeah. trans woman. And then we look at um, Steven Universe, which is one of my favorite shows. If you haven't watched it, it's so cute and so heartwarming and I could cry. I know. But, I have not got into it in a mess. Oh, Philip. I'm going to. I just me. got chilled. It's such a good show. I know. Like, I see the little clips of it, and I'm always like, why haven't you watched this? So. It's it's uh, it's such a good show. And it has, like, a lot of, like, <clears throat> queer undertones. Like, mm -hmm. no spoilers, but, like, um, they're called gems, a lot of the women characters. But they, they all come from a planet where it's just women. So clearly, like, they have queer relationships and... Yeah they can like mold it's great call me after you watch it because it's the best <laughs> show it's so good but then like if we also go back to like the centering of people of color but the people of you know queer people of color and if you think in like you were saying like with ursula like ursula and how you know she would be categorized as being fat and how being fat was also seen as being bad but then you also like 
kind of assume that Ursula would be quote quote black because she's purple and like all these other yeah. things. So, like a fat black body means a villain, or like the fact that like Scar and Jafar are both darker skinned characters in sure. the shows that he's in, that they're in. Like Scar is way darker than Mufasa, or like Jafar is way darker than like Aladdin. Like this whole vilifying of darker skinned people too so yeah it is not missed on me um (laughs) growing up like you're saying like as we get more people into these positions of power like i was saying like with janet mock and rebecca sugar and um rebecca sugar is a white queer woman if i'm not mistaken um but then if we think and look at like ryan murphy and all the stuff he's been able to do and the privileges he has gotten from all of the work on the shows he's done and brought in and diversified people because i if i'm not mistaken ryan murphy directed glee yeah and then also american horror story Uh now on pose like he's just been doing all these things and bringing in so many different people and i think that's because because of his queerness and being like you know let's get more people in here and you know trying to just spread the wealth around if we will so yeah he's using his privilege and he i think i watched uh uh i think it was like a conversation with him in the most of the cast uh, of Pose and Janet Mock, and he was talking about like he was afforded all, you know, this power from directing before, and then he saw like Janet, and he was like, "You're gonna do this, like you're ready for it." And she was talking about how like she was nervous taking the reins of that, and he was like, "No, you need to get your voice out there." And I think that's the time where you need to look at yourself, especially now, like if, if you're a, a white person and especially if you're a white queer person with power is looking at that and saying, we all want to be represented and we all want our voice to be there. But then there are times where you need to open the door for somewhere else. It's that, it's almost like the mentoring thing. Like, not that you have to teach them, like, you know, clearly black women teaching everybody everything, but like allowing them to take and stand up and be in front like you stepping back and listening and, and understanding those stories you need to hear. You know, it's like, I need to hear this for myself. I need to hear their perspective. I think that's great. I mean, there are straight people that I know that are watching Pose. Like that blows me away every day when I, when I hear that, you know, like, and, and especially right now with Black trans women being targeted, killed every day. I think it's super important that that's a series that is out there making, I mean, it's huge. It's on, on Netflix, you know? Yeah, and then queer and queer eye. I mean, I <laughs> funny like I remember watching Karamo back in the days on Real World. Like I saw him grow up as a man who you know he was quote unquote like the angry black guy, you know, in that mm-hmm. series, and to watch him become this brilliant like mentor to people, you know, is amazing, you know. And then not only him, it's you know East Indian being represented. At, and a queer person, you know, yeah. like, and then uh, JVN, Mr. Van Ness, like, yeah. you know, him being perceived as super hyper feminine, but like, he's teaching people how to love themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. I even sometimes have him on my shoulder saying, Philip, you need to do this. You need to go and put on a mud mask for yourself. Well, even uh, like with, with JVN coming out as non-binary and just having yeah. those conversations with people too. Um, quick backup to real world. I think that's one of the first places on like TV where I saw like real representation, especially like queer representation. And I always laugh because I was, I I'm getting chills. I was obsessed with 
um, Anissa and Coral, and I never oh, knew why. And then God. I came out, and I was like, oh, duh, girl. Like, I loved both of them so much. But, like, we think about, like, that, of, like, how many people of color, queer people we saw. Like, I think Real World was, like, one of the first places we were able to see how diverse of, uh, like, color, race, sexual orientation was so widely accepted and like that was like pushed into the forefront of of our tv especially being an mtv like how huge that is but uh coral and anisa if you're listening i still still have feelings (laughs) yeah i mean that was i mean i remember and i wasn't even out when that was happening but i remember watching that and seeing like them live the same experience or similar experiences that i was in their head but being on television like and like, you know, I was super deep in the closet back then. <laughs> so, but, um, I mean, they, those people to me are like, have, they taught me things, you know, um, they taught me to live your truth because they were doing it. They, they were pioneers, you know, back then, you know, and they were in front of everybody, you know, dealing with alcoholism, dealing with the, you know, the trauma that they experienced with cameras there, you know, I yeah. can't, that's a big thing, you know, and back before it was cool. You right. Know? Uh such a good show if they brought back real world i'd go on in a heartbeat that's like one of the only reality tv shows i would ever oh, do dude, I love that, that and big that, brother that, <laughs> that, that that and road rules i love both of those see then i don't they just then they just became like now they're all just douchebags like oh yeah and it's like i don't want to watch a bunch of them just like trying to like it's all these these like big buff dudes trying to fight each other on them now right like, i don't want to see that like no i, the I old, miss the, the dramatic school, fights from the back yeah. of the day when it was over something really important like, yes uh and uh, Cor- listen every coral and anisa quote ever i'm like yes <laughs> uh, but yeah that i think about that too like the conversations i've been hearing on tv i mean with this year being an election year and you know the last four years of 45 in office how bigots people who are you know just terrible awful racist and homophobes and all that and how people are saying like because of all this representation on tv we're quote 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 unquote making kids gay and that makes me laugh so much because i'm like we are we are thrust with straight being the the default at all times but if that was the case there would be like if tv could make someone gay or straight first of all not that's not what happens but that just always makes me laugh so much i'm like if that was the case there would be no queer people because all we see is straightness all the time and also like the whole trope of like choosing to be queer and like having those conversations for so long with people like even before i came out like just being an ally i was like do you think anyone in their life would choose to be vilified by complete strangers and like just having that conversation with people like no one chooses to be you know center stage in a negative way no one wants to the spotlight on them and, and and put into such dangerous places and i think the netflix documentary disclosure have you seen it yet no. that um laverne oh. cox is in it it's like talking about trans representation no, it, in media it's on my watch list on netflix you need to go watch it because it does like a great job of talking about how like and then she was on a Brene brown podcast episode which also obviously obsessed um <laughs> the the mecca I'm is Brene. I'm doing I'm doing the hallelujah hands right yeah, now. Yeah, Brene is the mecca. But that in that documentary disclosure, someone in the, in the documentary says, you know, the more brave and bold that trans people live their lives, the more danger they put themselves in. And like, if you just think of that, like when you come out as a queer person, it's already like, you know, if you are in a cis a quote cis hetero appearing body or you know what have you like that's already a thing like if people can spot that you are queer that's one thing but now like these trans people who are living their authentic lives and how 
these people who just are so hateful are targeting them because of that. So it's like this this decision they kind of have to make of like, do you want to live your most authentic life, which I hope that everyone gets to do, but I can't even imagine of like making that decision and knowing that's putting a target on your back. You know, going back to what you said about like making people gay, like I always go back to, I'm like, guy, historically, gay people have existed since the beginning of mankind. We're mm-hmm. not going anywhere. We're still being born. There's gay babies and trans babies being born right now. Transgender people have been around since the beginning of time. Every culture has had them. Some cultures have accepted them. Some have vilified them. That's why I try things like just things like, I'm like right now I'm wearing like a rainbow bandana. When I'm in really white, straight spaces, you know, sometimes I still have to have those conversations with myself, you know, because I know that I, like I can take this off and I can put on a cap and I can look real country and I can pass as a straight person. Like I, I did it for 20 one years you Mm -hmm. know so i know how to do it but it's forcing myself to be uncomfortable every day because i look at myself and i say you know what you outwardly can look tough but their strength as trans people and stepping out every day into that kind of danger is a whole nother level of strength like that blows me away because it's like the the guys that are femme you know especially Mm -hmm. if you're a queer femme person you know like they live in those bodies like their level of resilience and strength is beyond me they step out like that every day and have to deal with the looks and the comments and i get comment like if i wear this to the you know someone some republican lady will give me a nasty look but you know they're literally looking at them as the devil basically Mm -hmm. you know and to this day like growing up like you said in uh west louisiana our preacher made a comment about rupaul being the devil like straight up in the in a in a uh, a sermon and that to that day i still look at that and i still think about that i'm like that blows me away like they they have no idea like it was like they don't even know any gay people i didn't know any gay people growing up that's the propaganda the deep entrenched propaganda that's being taught generations of propaganda like that talking about that goes back to talking about like enemies like uh, the the bad guys in movies being darker skinned or wearing you know all black or something like that it is that you know and I don't think it's always intentional for some even creators like it's just something that has been like embedded in our heads and you have to constantly look at that or flip it like I like to take what we have saw and flip that imagery and yeah I mean it's really deep because it's been taught generation to generation you know yeah it's our biases and there's a whole yeah. thing like if people I would say like go up and go google and take like the implicit bias test it's very interesting to take but I also want to back up and talk about religion because right. hi can of worms oh my gosh yes um I think about it a lot. And now episode two, I talked to my friend Aiden, who is a trans person who was black, who was in seminary. And I've been having a lot of conversations lately with myself and quarantine chats, we like to call them, and really questioning my religion again. And I took a social distant walk with a friend the other day. And we were talking about religion because with me, in every like major life decision I've made, I've just kind of I was taught for a long time, my godfather's a pastor, I've mentioned it here on the show before, but he always says like, sit still and listen and like, listen to what comes to you. Maybe God will come speak to you. Maybe Jesus will come to speak to you. Maybe you'll just feel something in your soul. Um, So like with me trying to make a decision, if I should move to Philly or not, it was one of the things I was like, I can't make a decision. We'll just sit and see. 
and I think the last time I really did this was like when I was leaving a job before and then when I was moving here to Austin I had been wanting to move for a while but it would like nothing fell in place and so with Philly nothing's been falling into place and I'm like okay maybe I'm being called to stay but with me the last four years I've been really having a tough time with my spirituality because of people who say that they are Christian but use their religion as a way to vilify others and as someone someone who grew up being taught that like even if you take like even if you don't use the word religion but think of it as a relationship to whoever you believe in and then you are in community with people who believe in the same thing that you believe in and so for the the last four years with 45 being in office specifically you know seeing people who use their religion as a weapon i have been so embarrassed identifying as christian or religious because of how it is used as a weapon to divide people one of the things i talk with aiden about often is how how whitewashed the bible is now i hate to break it to y'all but there are no white people in the bible it happened in the middle east there are no white people there Yeah. And I'm like, even the Jewish people that are there are not white. Right. Like, that area, if you look at history, I mean, I was a history major before, back in the day when I, when I went to college the first time. And it's like, that area, like, nobody's white there. Like, nobody. The only reason why, like, even some of the Jewish people nowadays that live in that area, because they came from Europe and then they mixed with those populations. Mm-hmm. Those, they're Middle Eastern. And especially back then. So it's ridiculous. I love that little there's that uh, imagery where it shows the little circle of where everything takes place in the Bible. And it's like, there are no white people. This is not Europe. It's that ridiculousness. And that is important to point out, like the whitewashing of things like that, because you're taking away, I'm not religious, but I still look at like the concept of Jesus, historical Jesus. And I, I believe he probably wasn't a person. And his teachings are amazing. Like he doesn't talk about gay people. He, none of that stuff. He does not discuss that stuff. He talks about loving your neighbor, Radical love, that's a big thing. Representative Ilan Omar, I love her quotes about like radical love. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is what I was taught as a kid as Christianity, like by my parents, Southern Baptists believe a whole nother level of cult craziness, or at least where I grew up. That at its, at its core, you know, you're talking about a Middle Eastern man who was fighting against other archaic religions and belief systems at that time with radical love. And I'm sure even if he existed, he would probably had problematic views, you know, but he was still far and above ahead of his time. And well, the it's, whitewashing it's... Of, of that, of Native American stuff, you know, it's like there's so much whitewashing of like these characters in history who really pushed progress forward in the world, you know, and it... queer people, you know, like. Yeah. Wait, before we move on, because I want to talk about Native American and the whitewashing of that. But there's a there's a scripture in the Bible, I want to say Revelation, and it's like describing someone and it's like hair like wool with skin like bronze. I'm like, what white person do you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. has woolly hair <laughs> and bronzed ass skin? And then also like I was listening to Brene Brown's podcast because again, obsessed. And she had on this really amazing writer and activist, this woman, Austin Channing Brown. And Austin talks about 
you know, how there is black Jesus and white Jesus and that whole breakdown. I'm not even going to do it justice, but if I'll, I'll be sure to link the episode in the show notes, but it, it talks about how black Jesus would be out here like protesting with Black Lives Matter, oh, yeah, LGBTQIA sure. issues. He'd be standing with the trans rights activists. Like he would be, you know, he hung out with like the, the drug addicts and, you know, the sex workers and like Jesus, if he was around today, what, like you're saying that radical love of just loving everyone versus, you know, people who see God and Jesus as like these really like angry, you know, punishing sort of deities. And it's like, no, that's like not what we were raised to think. And that's kind of, I think why, like her description of like black Jesus and the white Jesus were just freaking fantastic. And I was like, this is what I needed to hear today. But then like you're saying the whitewashing of like Native American and, and actual people from India, right? Like how you were talking about like before with trans and non-binary people, like Native Americans have always believed in two spirit people. And like, if you look back in Indian culture, people who aren't just one gender and how those people are, are, you know, so celebrated. And then you have, you know, white Western culture that, you know, comes in and like vilifies all that and is and, and becomes so entrenched and, and horrible for those people who have believed this for their whole lives. Yeah, it really goes back and we'll go some like some deep history. If you look at the transition from the Jesus version of Judaism, at that time, you're looking at lots of war and conflict. And then you had Rome come in. And that's one of the biggest factors that when it comes to white supremacy and the concept of these systems that we're still dealing with is Rome. Because Rome came in there and you have to realize like Rome, probably one of the greatest cultural appropriation systems ever. They stole from the Greek mythology and they literally just changed the names of all their gods. And they destroyed their society, then integrated it. Then they did that to Judaism and Christianity. It became the Roman Catholic Church. And, And it was such a fast change. And then they spread Roman Catholicism all over Europe. And then you had the switch to Protestantism and then the wars and that. I mean, people forget that like <laughs> in Europe, they literally were the Roman Catholics and Christian or Protestants were fighting on the streets daily, slaughtering each other. And then the same people that moved to the West were coming from that same mentality of conquering and whitewashing And so it completely took the religion from what it started, which was radical love, to the angry sky god religion, which that's, if you look across like history, is the angry sky god is this like, you know, Zeus kind of figure, you know, and that's what the the god of the original old god of the Bible is, an angry sky god, wrath, flood the world, you know, if you don't listen to me, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice basically things and yeah and that spread and we're still dealing with that I mean you look at media look how we glorify Rome but Rome decimated so many cultures we're still learning that today like you know Spain like there was tons of different cultures in the Iberian Peninsula that were like uh, old Celtic different you know they, they just slaughtered each other you know and they they wiped out whole civilizations that we don't even have anymore and we we're still dealing with that fallout because it went from that you know the Rome 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 taught Europe how to be colonizers basically and so mm. then they all turned into their own little empires and they did the same thing as Rome and we're still dealing with the fallout if you look at the Maori people they have more than one gender there's a lot of places in South America that these some of the tribes have more than one gender I mean in some of those tribes they're you know you know not, not all the tribes are completely liberal either but yeah you know those have existed since the beginning of time you know so that concept that we just sprouted out of the ground is, is ridiculous like it's it to them you would think that like in 
like 1900s like republicans they think that we just gays appeared out of nowhere like we just popped out of the rock it was all we, we just you literally came out of nowhere thank you <laughs> yeah i think about now like we were talking like at the beginning of the amount of representation and education that we're all doing around this like how often you know they try to erase everyone who isn't white cis hetero from the narrative and how many people are really fighting against that right now so as y'all know i'm always going to say make sure you register to vote because i feel like that's <laughs> the most important thing right now yeah and, I mean, and read and do your research it's insane i mean if you look at the last midterms we had our first two native american women first two native american legislators in Congress. Like that blows my mind. 300 plus years mm -hmm. and we just are now having representation for Native American people. But wake up call to them. This election is going to be a landslide for that. I mean, you have to think about all the new young politicians coming in there who are radical and they're mm -hmm. talking radical love. And we they aren't backing down, man. Like, I mean, if they if they think that like Ocasio-Cortez is, is going anywhere, uh, wake up call, she's not. And she's, and the thing is, you're looking at the groundwork. It reminds me of, people don't get like with Obama, President Obama, God bless him. The groundwork that he laid for grassroots campaigns is mind numbing. Like, and also like my dude Bernie, it's understanding, like he understood I'm out of this, but I'm going to start opening up the gates for all these young grassroots yeah. campaigners and these candidates. And we're about to be flooded with those, which I'm excited. Like we are gonna have all these people that are graduate who are just in the last few years graduating with law degrees and, and they're coming out and they're fired up and they're sick of it. And they're not gonna just accept the old status quo. And you know, our generation, we're finally coming into power, I, I think. We've only, like, for me, you know, there was the George Bush election, there was Obama's election, and then this last year. I'm, I've literally only been in three major presidential elections. So you start, like, I'm just now getting into that power of voting. And, like, we're getting all these kids that are graduating who've lived through mass shootings and watching Trump make a fool of America these kids aren't going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. Like they're super diverse. They're a super diverse voting base. I mean, I went and voted uh, yesterday and it literally was a line of people. And there were so many like rainbow shirts and Black Lives Matter shirts. And this is Texas. Like mm -hmm. to say that I, like I was nervous before, but I, I have zero like nervousness about what's about to happen because it's a turning point. Like I, um, I think a lot of people have seen, we've, you know, there's always been the roots of the deep racism and white supremacy in our society and how entrenched it is, but seeing it live now is a big thing. You know, that was one of the, the big things during the civil rights uh, movement was seeing people get hosed down and attacked by dogs. And then for the last probably 30 years, 40 years, there's been cases of it, but it hasn't been broadcasted on television and mm -hmm. to the masses. And now with everyone having a phone in their hand, we are the reporters. We are, and that's changing the game. And it's forcing people to see that real deep, ugly side. I mean, it's really changing minds. Like, you know, I say, you know, my parents are pretty chill people. You know, they have a, a gay son. They have, my, my sister, you know, has always dated black guys. For somewhere I'm from, those are two of the craziest things that you can imagine in West Louisiana, which is stupid anyway, because every white person in Louisiana is mixed. Like, every one of them. There is no white, white person in Louisiana. Um, but to see, like, my parents 
if you're from the South, you're gonna argue with your parents once, at least when you visit them. But like, we had a really good conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, I had to even tell my mom, you know, who's Cajun, you know, they grew up not being taught their their dialect because that was viewed as like poor white folks and you mm. were not supposed to talk like uh so their parents didn't teach uh them cajun but my mom i had to remind her i'm like y'all went to a you went to a segregated school in orange texas back then orange was segregated you know and i was like you, the 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 narrative you've been taught they just don't understand it like and they're starting to like i talked through them for like two hours we had a conversation and i was like and they ended up just, I said, y'all need to listen. I was like, I understand you're my parents and I've listened to you growing up, but you also need to listen. Like you don't understand what it's like. I, you know, they've been very open about, you know, me being gay, but I'm like, you have to understand that your experience is different than others, but they are living this every day. And I told them, I was like, I went to the protests. Y'all have, because they, you know, they even way out there, my parents don't watch Fox News, but they're watching things that you would think that, America's on fire from looters and protests. It's not happening. Like one or two businesses got broken into, burnt down. Like those are material things. And that's one of the major issues is materialism in America. Mm -hmm. And that's why, if that's the focus, that's a part of the reason why like these places of power and elitism and money is exactly the problem that we're facing. And I, I keep telling people to this day, and I'm sure some of the Austin people don't like it, gentrification is segregation mm -hmm. like it has just changed the word if you look at it like that's what it is and that is why it might sound cheesy i've always lived in diverse communities in baton rouge i lived in the poor community i don't i'm not going to sit there and spend ridiculous amounts of money and not talk to my neighbors like i i live in east austin i live in a very unpopular part of town that's affordable and it's more diverse and everyone's freaking nice here. Like people talk to you. Like it's not a wall, walled up house that looks like a prison that you mm -hmm. can't, you know, I, I, I don't like, I think like gentrification, just like segregation is creating a false reality of life. It's, it's to me, it's almost like going to the domain. Like that's not real life. Like, and a lot of people don't understand that. Like that's not real life. That is when you have so much money that you don't know what to do with yourself. Those people, because of gentrification, say segregation, the tax money is going to those places. Look how the infrastructure is there compared to the rest of Austin. And the rest of Austin paying the same amount of taxes and doing, if not more work than most people. Well, even if we just look back at Austin itself, like Austin used to be predominantly black. And if you look at the highway, the highway was used to make east and west Austin yeah. and then also north and south of the river. Like everything is, in, you know, the institutions here of, you know, I have a friend who's, who grew up here who was like, you know, you don't go to the east side, blah, blah, blah. And that was just something that their parents always taught them. And now it's like, that's where, you know, all the gentrification has happened. And, you know, you could go to the east side, buy some of our favorite restaurants, and you can still see like low income housing next to these huge, ginormous apartment complexes. Yeah. And so, you know, pushing, literally pushing out black and brown people who can't afford to live there. And so, yeah, I mean, when I was in the process of thinking of moving to Philly, I was I was doing a lot of research because I was like, I don't want to feed into the gentrification of another city. So I was like, where can I go? Where can I live? That's like maybe, you know, someone lives, someone who owns the house lives upstairs and then they rent like a rental property versus like me moving into like these multi-million dollar apartment complexes but yeah i think about that all the time especially with us like living here in texas and you know people who equate being 
like liberal progressive to being anti-racist. A friend of mine was reading the other day on one of the dating apps and it was like, you know, progressive, liberal, but then like you went to their Facebook and it was like, the governor really needs to clean up these homeless camps in Austin. And I'm like, okay. So just like that whole trope of like people who throw around these terms, but they just use it as like almost like clout like you're it's not like, yeah it's it's the whole when you it's those coded words mm-hmm. uh safe neighborhoods or mm-hmm. family friendly neighborhoods or good schools yep like that is that is like racially coded language and austin like, said that in her podcast with Brene too yeah all the language yeah. around it yeah it's like a blowback like with my parents and i got them to a good place i said y'all y'all want to react and take it personally you just you've been taught that we're not blaming you. This is what, like, this is generations of shit that we've been taught, like, that we're trying to unravel. It's not easy. There's, there's a reason why people have died for this. Like, it's, this is not an easy topic. It's not easy to deal with. I grew up racist. I wasn't taught, you know, my, I've always grown up around Black people, but there was those biases that little things that I remember now, like hearing myself say or think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but I've actively always fought back against that. And it's, it's a constant thing, you know, like everybody has those biases, but you have to, it's a constant growth looking at yourself and saying, and, and, and being say that I'm racist, it means I was born into a white supremacist society. America is a white supremacist nation. So therefore I grew up racist it's having to unlearn that shit there's no way around it like these these beliefs that you know black and brown people are more dangerous or mm-hmm. are more susceptible to violence or drug use and are stuff lazy. like that and i'm like yeah. and then black- I look, i'm like do you realize like growing up out in the country like the amount of meth and unhappiness and sicknesses they're out out there well that's like even right now like the black the whole trope the whole trope of black on black violence is bullshit you are clean you people who are killed are killed in proximity so white people kill white people asian people kill asian people black people you know it's but it's always like vilifying black people and they're like black people are lazy or you know this one woman reached out to me on instagram and was like hey i'm really trying to work through something right now and i was like okay my venmo is this and then let's have a conversation (laughs) And her thing was like, you know, for her whole life, her parents always said, don't fall in love with a black man because he'll leave you and blah, blah, blah. And she's a white woman. And so we talked through, I was like, oh, that's one of the stereotypes that they put into society so that people don't intermingle, that you don't fall in love, that you don't actually see black people as people because our system and our society was based on keeping black people, quote unquote, where they belong. So by giving them access, even just like not access to white women, but access to whiteness and having white people give a fuck about black people is detrimental to the racist society that we are in well it's that and like it's it's a such a weird dichotomy because you have those men that want to glorify black men in sports Mm -hmm. and their bodies but not allowing them to love you know and that's that's like the ut soccer play i mean football players recently they're like don't just cheer for us at sports like and like watching them walk for black lives matter like don't just cheer us on when we're on the field like don't only care about us because we can throw a football and i was like oh yes like like you're saying these kids today aren't having it (laughs) yeah well i'm to me it's just and and that the thing like you're talking about black on black violence it's such a ridiculous concept because do we talk about asian on asian violence do we talk about white on white violence do we talk about 
Hispanic on Hispanic violence? No. And I had told my parents, I'm like, my dad brought up Chicago. And I was like, do you realize the history of what happened in Chicago? Like segregation, like the literally the government inundating the segregated communities with drugs leading to gang violence. That is what's going to happen. Like you, you cause this, like the reason why there's violence there and gun violence is because of America's a violent nation. <laughs> Our history is violence. That is the problem. We have always been a violent nation. And I hate that narrative of like viewing, I don't know, it's the angry black person, the angry black man. They should be angry. Like the fact that like we're lucky, you know, America's lucky that they didn't riot and destroy it all, burned out, fucking burned the whole system down because we deserved it. Like America deserved that. But they're, you know, black and brown people are still fighting for the soul of America. That's what we're, and queer people are fighting for the soul of America. What is, because we have a vision of America that we see past all that bullshit. It's, you know, the uh, on the other side, we see mm -hmm. that. We see that um, the more perfect union. We want that. And if we have to trudge through that, the shit that we've been taught, we're going to get there. It ain't going away. Like they think that this is just going to stop. You've created the generation, like it's, uh, I hate to mention Harry Potter right now, but like you created that generation of young people who are ready to go mm -hmm. the long distance to get there, you know? And I, like I said, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. I know it's going to get worse before it gets better mm -hmm. because with anything, like when you fight that system to, to break the will, it's going to get bad, you know, because to uproot these systems that are also with lots and lots of money. Well, I, think that's, I think that's why our generation, the generations after us, are so big and like active is because this world is on fire and none of it is our fault but we have yeah. to we're the ones that ha are having to deal with it like global warming we didn't do this we're just now having to deal with it or you know how expensive you know there there was a statistic that said you know um generations now aren't getting like aren't going to college and aren't buying houses like we can't afford it y'all fucked up our financial system so much that you know they're like well all y'all do is work i'm like Cause that's all we can we can't afford to live because y'all have made everything so freaking expensive like you know and then we think in the, yeah then like the multi-billionaires who yeah. keep making so much money like there's no reason why people we have billionaires in this country and then have people living on the street starving like there's just this whole system is really fucked up yeah i just watched someone's I think I saw someone's clip on Twitter, I think. And it was like a, a girl, she was a black girl and she was walking to go to the bus. And she literally showed like, there's an area, it would, I think it was in LA maybe. It's like a really rich white community. And they have literally gated off the street. And that's where her bus stop is. So she has to then go way around. And she was following like Siri. And she's like, this is the bullshit that I'm dealing with. Like my access to getting public uh, transportation is now blocked off by a wall of elitism. And mm -hmm. it's like, and they're going to dig in more and more soon. Like we're going to watch more of this because when they, it's fear. And when they fear, like it's that white, the old rich white fear and as soon as that is challenged it gets it gets like those people with the guns on their property because someone was walking in their neighborhood and i'm all for it tear down those damn uh private gated community doors they were going there to to protest the the mayor like they weren't they don't care about your lawn karen 
like and kin whatever the hell their name is like but that's like it's they're so afraid that they're going to get challenged by or they're gonna it, have to wake up to the reality of what they live in the fake it's that, of that life. it's like and also like if we give this access to everyone then there's no more space for me and it's like no you're still going to be a wealthy white person it's just okay to let other people in to have access to it it's just you know it's it's taking away some of their power and people aren't used to that yeah and like i said and and that's the money is so entrenched with white supremacy too it, generational wealth i tell myself i think i'm lucky it might sound weird. I'm glad I was raised in a poor ass country family. Like, you know, we, I was, a, my parents had to have food stamps at some point. My dad was a logger and a farmer. Whenever they, he was out of work, he had to get on food stamps to support us. I'm proud of that. I'm glad it taught me things. I, I'm glad I wasn't born into massive amounts of wealth because I've had to work for everything I've had. And um, so whenever I get into debates about with like Republican, like, people who are like people don't these liberals they don't want to work for anything i'm like every liberal i know or not every liberal but most liberal people that i know or progressive liberals have worked since they were 18 multiple jobs if not before i started working when i was yeah, 16 exactly <laughs> if not before i mean i was working on the farm before that right like and have gone to school y'all didn't do that back in the day like y'all had a job in an industry that you could work for 20 30 years so don't pretend that this is the same reality your insurance wasn't what our insurances are nowadays they don't understand that at all i was watching this video of this black activist like educator and he did a whole history background of like how generational wealth has come to be and if we look at it as though white people had slaves so they had free labor then when that was done and we started moving towards like people black people were free in the civil rights movement and then like the late 80s early 90s of back in the day you could go to high school and learn a trade so you wouldn't have to go to college so you could go and get a job but they took all of that trade education out so now you have to go to school and you know now you're lucky if you get a job out of out of college because now there's a thing of like you know they want you to have an internship and then the whole conversation about paid and unpaid internships and you know how it is seen as such like a, a badge of honor to be to have an unpaid internship but there this are people ridiculous. who can't afford to be to take an unpaid internship and then you know there's just so many things ingrained of like if you are a wealthy person you have so much more access to things well, no matter what your race is if you are just wealthy you could afford to take an unpaid internship because you're probably not paying for school or your parents will pay for everything else right so there's just yeah. so many things that go into that and like the education system and how you know it's not really beneficial to all people there's just so many things that are happening in our society that just yeah, you making it unreal realistic you bring up that and i wrote something about that and to this day like i struggle with you know i i know that i i appear charismatic and, and competent person i am you know like and that took a lot to get to where i am now being comfortable in my own skin but i also said that like you know i'm a flawed person you know i make mistakes i say things sometimes when i'm fired up you know that's the louisiana me i say the fiery blood that cajun blood but um there are days I'm scared and vulnerable. Like I feel scared and vulnerable. And then I talk about, I wrote about how like activism and stuff like to me, just being present, like when I went to the Black Lives Matter movement, to be there 
you know, and I had been to, pro, we had been, we've been to stuff together, Stonewall rallies and stuff like that. I literally say that was the most surreal experience I've ever seen in my life. And I've went to God Hates Fags protests. That was like literally watching, being in the Hunger Games. And it was a beautiful thing being in that crowd and watching people have honest conversations and praying and stuff like that and kneeling for black women. But then on the other side, you're looking at tanks Humvees and lines of armed guards with armor, and the only thing that we have are water bottles. And I and I and so I took myself out of the crowd because I was like, I need to get perspective of this. So I stepped outside of the, the larger crowd and I took pictures. And the dichotomy of that still to this day blows me away. If you look to the left, there's the the African Americans statue in front of the Texas Capitol that mm-hmm. honors African Americans in Texas. And then looking at we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And there's armed guards there. And I just thought all it would have to do is saying, they could even just say that someone threw something at them. They could open fire on us. And that's what I was saying to myself. How insane that concept is, that they have that much power, but then how weak they look because of that. To me, that's weakness. You are so guarded up with people who are just standing there Mm -hmm. and challenging you. And I tell people, I've seen this before, you know, the Alton Sterling killing in Baton Rouge. I, you know, I lived in Baton Rouge for six, seven years. I watched that almost destroy Baton Rouge, rip that community apart. And I, there's photos of that. There's that teacher who's standing in front of the armed guard. And that's still to me one of the most profound photos ever. Just the power of her standing at these guys who are armed to the teeth. And she's a teacher. She's an educator. And they're intimidated by her. Like, that's what blows me away. But you were talking about, like, these the rich, white, being able to take these internships. That's one thing that I honestly have been intimidated with getting into the nonprofit suit and tie kind of sector. Because I feel like I'm not that person. You know, like, I could, to me, I'm more like, I'll go to the food bank and I'll go to the community center and drop off or cook for people. Like, that's the Louisiana. Like, cooking is, like, my thing to show love. So that's where I've always, and I know you've seen that. I'm sure you've seen some crazy stuff being in those suit and tie nonprofits. There's a reason why I'm working for myself in nonprofits. I also tell people that I have a trust issue with cis uh, white men at the top of um, nonprofit structure, like being EDs and CEOs. I don't trust it. You never have seen me at those things because I always, I don't feel like I fit in in those. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm going to challenge those people and I'm not going to shut my mouth. That's one thing that's bad about me is I feel like I'm going to shut up. Like I, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble with that. That's one thing I've struggled with into getting in. Because to me, my sort of activism is showing up to the, to the protests like that. And if people want to call or, you know, pull out the receipts, I've got those receipts. Mm-hmm. I go to the, you know, I go to the Stonewall rallies, even though there might be 20, 30 people there. But those same, you know, we'll talk about those white, those white gays, they go to brunch and they, they might throw in some money and donate. They're not at the rallies. Mm-hmm. They're not out there being visible, being an ally to the, the outcasts in our community, the, the non-binary kid that need us to be there to show them that we care about them. That's why I try to go every year to Stonewall Rally. Even if the crowd isn't big, I go there to be there because I want them to know that I'm going to protect them. I'm going to put my body on the line for them. Like right. that's, or at least I want them to see that I'm out here with y'all who feel isolated because I know what it is to be 
out in the middle of nowhere, not knowing what you are, <laughs> what that even, like, I would literally be staying up at 12, one o'clock watching IFC back in the day when that was the queer channel back mm. in the day and watching queer movies late at night on mute with the subtitles just to watch people who were me, you know, like to those, to this day, I look at that. I'm like, that's insane that I did that. But I'm given hope when I was at the school voting yesterday, I'm walking down these, the, the school and there's pride flags in a school. And I'm in my head, I'm like, I can't even imagine what that feels like to know that you're, if you're a queer kid and you feel loved because you're walking into a school that is accepting you, like that blows my mind. To me, like those kids are so powerful. Like, and what they're dealing with nowadays, you know, they don't have years of experience, you know, of age, but they're experiencing stuff that we have no idea. Like they're on the they grew up watching people online bully the hell out of people, you know? Luckily, back in the day, we didn't have online, you know, to attack us constantly. Right. You know, these kids nowadays have to be careful. Well, you know, they have to be careful getting on Instagram or whatever because some person's going to hop online and perv out on them, you know, or stalk them and stuff. Like, at least I didn't have that as a kid. These kids are strong and... I think just that imagery of like, I, I was like, I was literally about to cry yesterday when I was in that school because I've never seen that. There was like a teacher in front of her door and then there was a pride flag and there was a message about welcoming, you know, all kind of students. And I'm like, that to me is, they don't understand how powerful that is for a kid. I don't know. Yesterday was, that, that was a, that was a big thing. And, it, and it's, you know, being 35, you think that, uh, I don't know, it got to me yesterday because I was like, man, I mean, because I didn't come out till I was in 23, 24. And um, to be able, the, even the concept to be able, I mean, hell, I didn't even think I was, the, the idea of marrying a man was even going to ever be a possibility. That was not on my radar. Whenever, even when I knew I was gay, like that concept of you being able to marry another man, like that, the, the and I think that goes into the intersectionality of like you being a black person or being a queer person and you being able to be a happy whole person is a rare concept. But now because of media representation, we're learning to be that you can have a happy story. Because back in the day, I remember watching those IFC films. They were all tragic, tragic stories. You getting AIDS, dying, falling in love with someone who wasn't out and they ended up leaving. The Brokeback Mountain. Like that's what we, I grew up watching was these horrible stories of traumatic love that were really deep, but they didn't end in, they didn't, they didn't have a happy story. And I... Think that's important to show happy healthy relationships it's like you know literally right going on right now is the jada and um will smith controversy people have been fighting and attacking will and jada from the get-go of their relationship trying to tear them apart and now because they're being honest about something that happened something like four years ago like people are wanting to run them through the mill because they're addressing it they don't have to address it they've never addressed their relationship stuff so it's it's that idea that they've always been trying to tear them apart and not let them have a, i was just thinking about this today of like how often we see like white people in like tumultuous relationships and like all the scandals and tmz and everything else and then like how for so long they've been trying to like categorize will and jada's relationship and like now they've been like loving this like drama behind it and them just being like we'll just talk about it like yeah. i love that like you're saying we don't they don't have to say anything but like you know what if y'all are just gonna we're gonna tell our truth so you don't so you can't drag us through the mud and i've been really appreciating that because i think 
as black people, it's already like, like, again, we are constantly vilified. We aren't allowed to be private. Everything we do is supposed to be visual. And so like, even just with me, like I'm the subject of a documentary that's coming out this year from some students at Texas State. And so they're like, well, what do you want to share? I was like, oh, no, like I'll share everything. Like I have no problem sharing. And it's this thing for so long, like black people, we were taught to keep everything close to our chest. So it was so it wouldn't be fuel for the fire. And I think we are now really learning how to use our voice and tell our own stories. And I think that's what happened. That's what's happening with queer people, too. Yeah. And and I think that's we'll go back to like the the queer eye thing. You know, like I have straight friends that are watching that. And I'm, it's strong to look at yourself and dissect yourself and figure out what makes you happy and what makes you unhappy and show yourself self-care. And then also show yours. I've we had a talk at work, you know, about um, showing yourself great. I think that's the big, you know, when it when I look at religion and what you know, like I said, we'll get back to the religious stuff. Is what I learned from growing up and being religious, or what I've learned from like the concept of Jesus is grace, and really mm-hmm. applying that to your friends, your family, yourself. More importantly, we are so hard on ourselves, especially as if you're a person of color or if you're a queer person. Everything is built up to take us down to be unhappy, you're going to die of AIDS. Like, that's what I grew up as a teenager, knowing that I was gay. That was what, like, if you fall in love, and if you have, if you act on your sexuality, you're going to get AIDS and die. That is the shame that I was embedded into my head every day. And it's, shame is the, and Brene Brown talks about that. Shame is the most toxic thing in our society, in humanity. Mm -hmm. It literally is what's caused all of this, you know? And this year, it's really been telling myself, show yourself grace. The days that you don't get up and you don't go run and you don't go to the gym, love yourself through that. Mm -hmm. that, I think that's, um, what is it? Uh, That makes me think of the, you know, 90s kid, Alanis Morissette. She has that song. um, uh, I I can't think of the song, but she talks about she loves how uh, she'll be okay regardless, even if she loses her hair she's going to be okay. Even if she gets sick, she's going to be okay. She's going to be loved. That grace to yourself is the most important thing, I think, because we all want to be tough. And like, you, it sucks to put your body on the line. It sucks to be vulnerable to the world and have it have yourself be picked apart because it's such a private, like my love life, I don't need to justify that in anybody else. Me mm-hmm. loving another man or me loving anybody I don't have to justify that to anybody. You don't need to know what goes on in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Like, that's me. That is my soul, you know? So being vulnerable is such a strong thing. And I think that's really, like I said, I have a group of friends that we do Zoom meetings with each other. They're all straight people. They literally asked me through all this COVID, we'll hang out at night. I've never experienced this. They asked me to tell them what it was like growing up being gay. And I said, I told them, I said, straight up, guys, y'all have I've never had anybody ask me that. I've never had straight people. And I told them, I was like, I just want y'all to know, like, this is big. Like, yeah. that y'all are even asking me what it, it's like to grow up gay because, and, and, they're, and they're, they, they said, you know, well, it's really powerful. We're, we're proud of you. I said, I said, I don't want y'all to think that. Like, that's not what I'm trying to be. I'm not trying to say that I am better or had a tougher situation than other people. I said, but y'all have to understand it's a whole different thing. Like being, growing up with that amount of shame and what, you know, to my extent is nothing like, imagine, like I try to tell them, imagine what it's like to be queer and a person of color. That's a whole, that's compounding levels of shame you know, that you're taught. And I don't know, I just, I think we're at a good point in life because we're seeing so many people be, 
and they've always been brave when we stand on giants, but like now there's so much media and podcasts and stuff that are allowing people to listen to them finally. And, you know, the more we see of that, the more we listen. I don't know. Like I, we had a meeting at our work about the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I told them, I said to my white coworkers, I said, when you have questions about what black people think or what queer people think, ask them, don't, don't shut your mouth. Like for me, sometimes I have to say, Philip, shut up and listen. Like it's not everything is for you. <laughs> not, and I think a lot of white people have issues with that. Not everything is created for you. If you enjoy it, yes, that's a great thing. But not every artist, music, piece of art, dance, it's not created for you. If you enjoy it, that's great. But not everything is created for you when you talked about looking back at like Beyonce, like you talk about how people criticize them, you know, they criticize um, Will and Jada, but look how much criticism is going to Jay and, and Beyonce. Mm -hmm. But what did she do? She turned that on the, on the head, all the controversy and the Lemonade album. Mm -hmm. Like she addressed the stuff and she leaves it up to the listener to decide, is that real? Or is this the persona that she created for the Lemonade album, you know? Mm -hmm. But that album is not created... And as much as the game white men love it, and I love it, that album is not created for me. Mm -mm. That album is created for Black women and dealing with trauma and dealing with heartache. That is what that album is for. Just like Lizzo's album, I enjoy that. I am not a heavy Black woman. She made that album to love herself and to deal with those issues. So again, it's not created for me. I enjoy it. But that is a self-help album for herself. And that's what people have to, yeah, it's a fun, she, she's fun to watch and she's fun to twerk. But sh that album is not for me. That album is for Black women and their bodies. And that is what a lot of white men, oh, I don't, I don't like Beyonce. I think she's too much of a diva. Well, okay, that's not for you. Like, why do you have to have an opinion on her? Don't listen to her. God forbid a, a Black woman loves herself completely too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry you feel intimidated because she is empowering herself. It, the thing is, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. Okay, you don't like that song. Change the channel, listen to something else. Or maybe you actually need to listen to the lyrics instead of just want it. Or you, it's that kind of like shut up and perform. And that's what Black people have been told. We want Beyonce to dance and sing, but we don't want to have her give her political views when she's singing. We don't want her to talk about the real issues in her lyrics. You just want to hear her sing singly. You don't want to listen to the Lemonade album and the deep shit that she's talking about or the imagery. Like that album's imagery is mind boggling, you know, because growing up in Louisiana, I've seen those places occupying space. Like she's on the plantation, occupying those spaces that were where her ancestors were slaves, you know, but they're owning that with beauty and grace. Like, that's what I try to tell people about, like, you don't need to have an opinion on everything when it comes to, like, what other people are creating, you know? When I, when I write, I'm not writing for the, the comfortability of white straight people. I'm not interested in that. That has zero desire to me. I won't, you know, because I am writing a book, but I'm, you know, I'm writing for the queer kids, the outcasts, to feel strong. You know, to, I, you know, to be able to be a kid and read a book where I'm represented as a hero is super important. And that goes back to what we were talking about, like representation in TV, like kids going and cosplaying and being realizing that they can be the superhero. Like they can be the Black Panther. They can be a Koye wielding a spear. I love that. And that literally saves lives. And now we're seeing transgender uh, characters, superheroes. Like, I think I just saw today that um, there's a trans model first time on Sports Illustrated right now. That's oh, wow. Out. Yeah. 
So it's like, that is what we're stepping into. And we ain't turning back. Like, we're not going anywhere. Like, we're just going to get gayer and blacker and queerer and, like, louder. Like, we ain't going away, you know? And that's, and we need to embrace that, you know? Like, that's what I'm excited for. Um, and then also just, like I said, the grace, the community in our, grace in our community is, needs to be applied all over because there's a lot of infighting in our community a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you... I don't know. It's the the intersectionality thing. It can get really toxic. I see it online, you know, like if you're not saying the exact right thing all Mm -hmm. the time. And that's like such a, we got to show each other grace because we're all learning. Like, you know, especially culturally, like, you know, we are afforded privilege in America to be able to have these conversations openly. But think about being like a queer person or a a non-binary person living in like Russia or the Middle East. Like we, we talk about, you know, pronouns and stuff and I love that stuff you know I think that's super important being able to establish yourself and identify yourself can you imagine what it's like being in those countries and not being able like being attacked for that you know being thrown into a a camp for that you know and your family's denouncing you so it's like we're afforded that privilege so I think we also need to show each other grace in that aspect you know accountability and grace that's my two biggest I think that is a great place to wrap accountability and grace from the lips of Philip Uh, i'll be sure to link your instagram and all of that but is there anything else you want to shout out any orgs you love oh yeah there's um texas pride impact funds out youth queer exchange austin on facebook that's a great thing i've been tapping into so if you're looking for like being able um you you know you're looking to get rid of something or or buy something or there's local uh queer artists i i got a um handmade cedar planter box for my patio uh, from a little lesbian couple that run a um, woodworking company. Um, and then you can also, um, there's Gay Austin Geeks on Facebook. And then you can also follow me on updnd.podbean.com. You can hear me do some voice acting as uh, a character named Albatross in a Dungeon Dragons podcast so, that I'm in. So, yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be making a podcast soon. So it's going to be a queer um fantasy sci-fi podcast so that's in the works so but uh i want to thank you brianna for giving me space in your little beautiful universe and i can't wait to see more from you and listen more so uh i'm honored to be given a voice here so it was so great to have you on um as you know i like to wrap every show with a final question what is the best advice you were ever given or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self okay so i have a Mine's kind of like a, a quote from my favorite author, J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who mm-hmm. wrote Lord of the Rings. Um, I think right now it rings truer because of all the chaos we live in in the world um, and uncertainty. But it says, the quote reads, but in the end, it's only a passing thing. The shadow, even darkness must pass. So even the chaos of what we're dealing with with COVID and everything, it's going to pass. Um, and it, we're going to shine the brighter through all of this, you know, like. We're going to make it through this as a community and as a people, uh, because the only way we go in is up. Progress is going to continue forward. And the advice that I give to uh, younger Philip is, this was a little longer winded, but uh, don't believe the hate, fearful words that they tell you about who you love. Um, Be brave, stay true to who you are, and know those that really love you will stand with you and remain with you even when you doubt that. Uh, That being a real man is more than muscles, a big career, and what others see as success. That truth as a man is in loving your friends, showing grace, being vulnerable, and carving yourself a little piece of happiness out in this world. 
that's it for this week's episode of the tea with brie be sure to follow us on instagram at the tea with brie send me an email at the tea with brie at gmail.com and visit the website the tea with brie podcast.com don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast a special thanks to mama duke for our theme music and i will talk to y'all next week bye